0: Hello, Welcome to Texas True Crime. I'm your host, Jessica. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. Last week, we started talking about Janine Jones. In part one, we discussed her early life, her childhood, and how she decided to become a nurse. So if you're just now tuning in, you just found Texas True Crime, I suggest you go back and listen to part one. Everyone else, if you listen to part one, let's jump right back in i'm glad you're back with me this week so let's get started janine jones found her first job at methodist hospital where she originally was a hairdresser in 1977 methodist hospital was the premier private hospital in san antonio she started on the 3 to 11 shift which would eventually become her favorite shift to work in the cardiac intensive care unit where patients with severe heart problems were kept on 24-hour watch. When Janine was first hired, she impressed her superiors with her enthusiasm and willingness to work extra shifts. Her first performance review was positive, except for one thing. Ms. Jones tends to make judgments that she has neither the experience nor authority to make. And the further we get along in our story, you will see that making those judgment calls that she doesn't have the authority or the experience to make, ends up following her throughout her career and even until she's arrested. In April of 1978, Janine was asked to leave Methodist Hospital. She downplayed her departure by saying she had a conflict with the doctor. She said that the doctor did not show proper bedside manner with a patient and that she stood up to that doctor. In return, she was asked to resign. But in true Janine fashion, she was not telling the truth. In reality, complaints from a patient were what led to her termination. Janine was assigned to care for a patient that had family visiting her. The patient was sitting in the visitor's lounge with her relatives when Janine walked in and found her smoking. Now, smoking today would be a huge problem in the hospital. But I think it's so, it's just so different from where we are now that in the 70s and early 80s, you could still smoke in the hospital in the patient's waiting lounge. And there you were in the cardiac intensive care unit blows my mind, but I digress. Sorry. Janine ordered the patient to put her cigarette out and then told her to elevate her leg. The woman did not respond as quickly as Janine thought she should, so Janine grabbed her by the leg and forcefully raised that leg herself. This was very painful to the patient, and I'm sure she was very shocked at Janine's aggressive behavior towards her. She then roughly took the woman's blood pressure and ordered her back to her room now the woman was very taken aback by this behavior and the next morning when janine was told about the complaint she asked if she could speak with the patient well obviously her supervisor told her no but instead of listening to her supervisor janine arrived early for her shift the next day and went to the woman's room and confronted her anyway while janine was in the room talking to the woman she began to cry she talked to him about what happened the night before but after she left the woman called her actual nurse that was on duty and told her that she had chest pains and felt very nervous after the interaction janine was immediately dismissed for improper conduct while on duty in 1978 there was a shortage of nurses so it didn't take long for her to find a new job after being fired in april she got a new job pretty quickly the obstetric obstetrics gynecology that's a tongue twister ward at community hospital a smaller private hospital in san antonio that was on the other side of the medical center from where she worked at methodist hospital janine didn't last long there either though she was fired in october because she chose to go ahead with an elective surgery when she had not been in her new job long enough to even accumulate any sick leave her Her superiors had asked her to please wait, but Janine who was only 28 at the time was dead set on having her tubes tied. So she went ahead with the tubal ligation anyway. So that's the other thing she wasn't that her, her superiors weren't asking her to not have a surgery that was life threatening. If she didn't do it, she was just having her tubes tied and in true personality, she wanted it done and she was going to do it now and no one was going to tell her otherwise. But the woman who became, who became obsessed with caring for sick babies didn't want any more children of her own and so she had the tubal ligation. It didn't go over well with her superiors, especially since she had been asked to wait and so they fired her. So there Janine was looking for her third job in 13 months. Janine applied for a job in the coronary care unit at Bear County Hospital. They didn't have an opening anymore. It had been filled, but they asked her if she would be interested in pediatrics. Janine said yes. On October 30th, 1978, Janine Jones was hired to work in the pediatric intensive care unit at Bear County Hospital. Janine had not worked with children since she was in nursing school, and at first she was really nervous about it, but she quickly settled in. Her colleagues, on the other hand, we're not so sure about her. The first patient that Janine was given was a six day old boy with a de- disease called necrotizing enterocolitis. It is usually fatal. The child went to surgery and when he returned to the ICU, he died. Janine had only cared for the baby a very short time. She broke down into deep, racking sobs and moved a stool into the dead child's cubicle and sat and stared at the body for an hour. No one in the ICU unit had ever reacted like this to a death before. The nurses were saddened by the passing of an infant or a young child, but it was part of the job in the pediatric intensive care unit, and they expected it. The The nurses there knew that most of their patients were not going to recover and that they were some of the most fragile patients of anybody at the hospital. So most of them, most of the nurses in the pediatric ICU ward took the deaths in stride. The head nurse at the time really wondered if Janine was even going to be able to hack it because of her emotional outburst. One of the most unsettling things about all of this was that Janine Jones had been entrusted to care for these patients with a background check that was less rigorous than what they would have put a bank teller through at the time. So here she is with all these little lives in her hands. The most severe patients in the hospital, and they didn't hardly do, they just did a passing background check on this woman. They didn't know that she'd already flubbed it up really bad at her other two jobs. But at the time, that's how bad the nursing shortage was. They needed nurses. And even though they didn't hear anything back from Methodist or her other hospital, they took her on anyway. The Human Resources Department routinely sent Janine's former employers a form asking for information about her job performance. But Methodist, they wanted to know would you hire her back? Would you not? But Methodist Hospital returned it blank. So there was nothing in her personnel file to suggest that she'd been fired for abusing a patient or refusing to follow orders. In the ICU, doctors made rounds in the morning and went in and out during the day. There were no doctors there full time. This meant that most of the responsibility fell on the nurses. Since the needs of the patients were so demanding, a nurse focused her time on one or two patients so that they could give them full care during their shift and that hopefully they wouldn't be pulled away at all. These children were not able to do anything for themselves, but not all of them were dying. Some of them would be able to pull through. This meant that a lot of times it really came down to the care that the child received from their nurse that really made the difference on whether they survived or not. Nurses in the ICU were used to the fast pace and having to make split decisions constantly. And most of them became aggressive in their response to the treatment because there wasn't any time to lose. And that really became a source of pride for pretty much any ICU nurse That she could think on her feet. She was decisive or he, I should say, they made the decisions and they got it done. Well, this ideology suited Janine Jones perfectly. Remember we talked about in episode one, that was her personality. Anyway, she thought she was right. She knew what she was doing. She was aggressive almost to a fault and she wanted you to do what she said. So this seemed like the perfect place for Janine. She thrived on the high adrenaline atmosphere. And after three months, she was moved to the three to 11 PM shift, her favorite spot. Her enthusiasm, technical knowledge and skill impressed everyone. Remember, this was the first time that Janine really felt like she found her niche. She was where she thought she needed to be and she excelled in all of her courses. So in theory, Janine should have been really good at this if her ego hadn't have gotten in her way. The doctors were impressed and the RNs were impressed too. She knew more anatomy and physiology than most all of the LVNs. And if she didn't understand something, she would quickly read up on it and then ask follow-up questions so that she could figure it out. She really did start out wanting to be a good nurse and doing a good job. Another, but the one thing that really made her stand out most of all was her skill for putting an IV into a patient. IVs are given to patients so that nurses can administer drugs, draw blood, and give fluids to them without having to poke them with a needle multiple times a day. Basically they're trying to keep patients from turning into human pincushions. Now starting an IV is something that nurses do daily but not all of them are good at it. Veins are hard to deal with and I bet pretty much most all of you out there Have gone to give blood, or you were in the hospital yourself, and a nurse tried to start an IV and they couldn't find your vein. And it is not a pleasant situation when a nurse is digging around on your arm or in your hand trying to find your vein. So, Janine was awesome at this. In fact, she was one that people sent for over and over all the time. Now, also imagine if you're trying to find the vein of an infant. This makes that task, I mean, a hundred times harder. I mean, an infant's vein might only be the size of a thread, but Janine was a pro and she what became the person, the go-to person on the pediatric ICU floor to start an IV if no one else could do it. Janine's natural ability to put her in the spotlight of her superiors and they were impressed. Janine used this to her advantage and she gained their trust. She made sure that she was respectful and helpful whenever she was asked to do anything. She would save for extra shifts if they were short staffed. Janine went above and beyond. In her three month performance review, everything was going except for one thing. Does that sound familiar? Head nurse, Pat Belko wrote, Janine could become an even better nurse if she could maintain better control of her emotionalism. However great her start was within the first year of employment, she received eight formal notations in her file for serious nursing errors. She received what is called informal guidance. This meant that she had to discuss her errors with the superiors and identify what she had done wrong. On several of these interactions, Janine refused to admit that she'd done anything wrong at all. The errors she made included failing to obey a doctor's orders to give a child an anticonvulsant drug. She also did not notice that an IV line was malfunctioning. She had set the IV solution too high, and the fluids were pouring into the child's body over a 30 minute time frame instead of a span of six hours. She also miscopied drug orders and gave 500 milligrams of a drug instead of 50 milligrams to her, to her patient. By the time the mistake had been caught, Janine's patient had received three doses of 10 times the proper amount they were supposed to be given. So they were not tiny errors that were easily overlooked. It's not like she forgot to empty a bedpan or something. They were major, but somehow, Janine managed to hold on to her job. Remember, she was an incredible suck up, and this is going to help her a lot throughout her career. When she had her fourth medication error in 12 months, she was ordered to take a special class on drug administration, but she didn't show up to the class on two separate occasions. She no showed, she just never went. So she got written up again. But those weren't her only serious offenses in the first year she was at bear county hospital on august eleventh, 1979 at 7 a.m janine had worked two shifts back to back so she'd been there almost around the clock she was caring for a 10-month-old girl with terminal heart failure her supervisor ordered her to go home she had worked too many hours and it was protocol to send her home after being there for so long no one was a allowed to stay on longer than two shifts at that point you're tired even if you have the best of intentions the odds are you're going to make a poor judgment call because you're exhausted well Janine refused to leave for an hour she ignored direct orders to leave the pediatric ICU and only left after a higher level nursing administrator was called in When she did leave, she yelled, she cursed, and made a huge scene the whole way out the door. It was incredibly uncomfortable for everyone and very unprofessional. Janine claimed she believed that her presence was necessary because of the relationship she had built with the child and with her parents, and that it was wrong to make her go home. Now that right there was grounds for her to be suspended and even possibly fired for her behavior. but. Head nurse, Pat Belko stepped in and gave Janine a warning instead and told her if it happened again, it would result in suspension. Well, in less than two months, another incident occurred. On September 29th, after finishing up her 3 to 11 shift, Janine showed up unexpectedly in the ICU at 5 a.m. So remember, she gets off at 11 p.m. and here she is back, not scheduled to work at 5 a.m. in the morning, and she wasn't alone. She brought a friend with her, not a nursing friend, just some random person that she brought with her. She went to the bedside of a patient she'd been treating. She got a syringe and started messing around with the child's medical equipment. On top of all this strange behavior, the doctors and nurses who were on duty could smell alcohol in Janine's breath. It was obvious that she was drunk. They ordered her to leave but she insisted she hadn't been drinking and she sure wasn't drunk but when they finally convinced her to leave it was so obvious she was intoxicated she couldn't walk in a straight line she would weave back and forth down the hallway she couldn't walk straight again head nurse pat belko came to janine's rescue she should have been fired just for the one incident i mean how unsafe is that here's this nurse drunk taking a syringe and trying to administer drugs thank the lord that someone caught her at that point but because of her willingness to work extra shifts sucking up to to her superiors she got a warning just a slap on the wrist and that was all it didn't matter that she had had five medication errors in 14 months that she failed to show up to the required classes she was supposed to take because of these errors or the misuse of drugs that any of these things she could have been fired for nope everything was overlooked and instead of putting a write-up in her personnel file on december 28th 1979 pat Belko submitted to jeanine's file a written commendation for meritorious contributions to the pediatric icu if that's not crazy i don't know what is you know I know everyone wants to be flattered and everyone wants to be looked up to, but in a lot of ways, Pat Belko was the pediatric ICU at Bear County's worst enemy. The other nerf- nurses were upset at Janine's ability to get away with practically everything and rightfully so. Here they were trying to do the right thing and she's just doing whatever she wants and not getting in trouble. And on top of it, getting awards. Especially the ones who'd reported her for the serious infractions she committed. They were furious. One RN that was there the night Janine refused to leave the ICU finally decided that she was going to transfer out because she was so tired of dealing with Janine Jones and all of her craziness. Because she seemed untouchable, Janine was not was like more sure of herself than she ever had been. And this made it even harder to rein her in. Her behavior divided the ICU. People either loved her or they hated her. She began seeing problems with patients that other nurses and doctors said didn't exist. This became a dangerous problem because doctors weren't taking her serious anymore. They called her the nurse that cried wolf, but this didn't stop Janine. If one doctor didn't take her seriously, she would just go down the list and call another one until someone would come in. She craved attention, just like she had as a child. And this was a way for her to get it. When her recommendations for a patient's treatment was ignored, she started predicting the child was going to die if they didn't do what she said. Several doctors caught her drawing up drugs without waiting on their orders. One doctor showed up to the scene of a child in cardiac arrest to find Janine Jones already there with a syringe, ready to inject. No one had given her any orders to do so. When the doctor asked what she had in the syringe, Janine replied, calcium. That was the wrong medication to give. At the end of each shift, nurses nurses would meet to give their report about the condition of their patients. Janine's reports were always dire. She would say things like, this baby is really bad. This baby isn't going to make it through the night. She made these announcements with conviction, like she knew it for a fact. In the spring of 1980, Janine Jones's greatest ally would arrive at Bear County Hospital. Dr. James Lawrence Robotham became an associate professor at the University of Texas and medical director of the pediatric ICU. He was 30 years old and he was an expert in pediatric critical care. Unlike other doctors, Robotham believed that critically ill children required the care of someone specialized in treating them. So he began spending most of the day in the ICU. Unlike the other doctors, he was always there. He told the nurses and residents to call him at any time with any problem. When he was called in the middle of the night, He didn't just tell them over the phone what to do. He showed up in person. This was music to Janine Jones's ears. Finally, someone who would take her seriously. Robotham was very good at his job and he wanted the nurses and doctors under him to learn what he knew. He led them through teaching rounds every day. This goes on in most hospitals, but Robotham was more thorough than most. He asked questions and he wanted answers beyond just face value. If a, if a resident gave him just your standard answer, he would continue questioning. What if this doesn't work? What should you do next? What's another pr- procedure you can administer? He wouldn't let up until he was satisfied with the answers that he received. And many times nurses and residents would leave in tears after his tough scrutiny. He also pushed for much needed improvements in the ICU. In his mind, He was there to make things better for staff and patients, and he was determined that he was going to do that. Robotham and Janine's personalities meshed well. They were both aggressive. He taught his nurses and doctors to look for the small, minute changes that might indicate a crash in a patient. He thought Janine Jones personified that approach. Instead of thinking that she was an overreactor, Robotham often agreed with her. In fact, he would request her, if she was not assigned to him, he told head nurse, Pat Belko, that he thought she was the best nurse in the ICU. This, of course, made Janine even more sure of herself and more of a bully to the other staff. With the two superiors, Belko and Robotham behind her, Janine felt invincible. All this time, Janine was working crazy hours, pulling double shifts and then spending time with her friends outside of work. Her mother, Gladys, was taking care of her two children. So the woman who loved to take care of babies in the ICU didn't seem to have any time of her own for her own children. Gladys was getting close to 70 now, and it was becoming harder for her to take care of the kids, especially Edward. Gladys had pretty much been the sole caretaker of Edward and Crystal their entire lives. She was there when they came home from school. She made their dinner. She helped them with their homework, and then she tucked them into bed at night. Janine was practically non-existent in their rearing. This made a big impact on Edward and it was starting to show in his behavior. He was getting into trouble in their neighborhood and at school. He would show up in people's homes uninvited, just kind of appear there, not even knock on the door. They would just look up and there he would be standing there in their house, looking at him. Things were starting to go missing at the neighbor's houses too. And of course Edward was suspected. He also was getting into fights at school and stealing from classmates. He was almost nine, and Gladys couldn't keep up with him anymore. She just didn't have the strength. Janine also didn't have any control over Edward because he resented the fact that she left him and his sister with their grandmother always. He hated the fact that the hospital was her life. In his mind, she they weren't important at all, and she preferred the hospital and the hospital kids over them. Which I can totally understand why he felt this way. She wasn't there and she did prefer to be at the hospital. She was obsessed with it. Janine took Edward to a counselor for testing and for therapy. She complained to the therapist that Edward never obeyed and she felt powerless and frustrated. Of course, it's all about Janine as usual, like we talked about in episode one. She's a narcissist. It's all about Janine and how things affect her. She does not ever think of anyone else's feelings. Well, she didn't follow through with his counseling and eventually she quit taking him because it wasn't her top priority, unfortunately. I mean, it really just seemed like her own children were just too much trouble for her. One thing though, Janine couldn't stay away from was the hospital, but it wasn't just when she was working. If she wasn't at work, then she would find ways to become a patient herself. In 27 months, Janine made 30 visits to the outpatient clinic or to the emergency room where she gave all kinds of ailments and complaints. Lists of, of things that just didn't make sense, all these symptoms that just didn't seem to go together or weren't even necessarily real symptoms. One of them was burning constipation. Okay. She was willing to undergo a battery of tests each time. So, and you know, if you've ever been to the hospital and had to have any tests run on you, they're invasive, they poke you, they prod you, you're getting stuck with needles or IVs. They make you, If you're doing a stress test. You've got to run it. They're not easy, but she thrived on these things. She thrived on the extra attention she was receiving. But every time she underwent all these tests, they always showed up that nothing was wrong with her. So the doctors determined that her symptoms were psychosomatic. Now, all of this made for a very bad combination. We have a woman who likes to lie, craves attention, has a drive to be in the hospital, whether she's the employee or the patient, she refuses to follow orders and she needs control at all times. I mean, it's just a perfect storm brewing for what's to come for a while. Just being in the middle of the medical problems, whether they were her own or a patient's satisfied all of these needs in Janine, but eventually this would no longer be enough of a, of a thrill and she would need more. Now medical emergency is called a code in the ICU. Codes are called several times a month. It's not something that's a surprise or unheard of. It is, however, a frightening experience no matter when it happens. Someone's dying right in front of you. When a code is called, nurses and doctors come running from everywhere to help. Janine loved this. She considered it a rush, and she loved to be in the big middle of any code she could. Most of the time when a code was called, the child would die. At Bexar County Hospital, when a child died in the pediatric ICU, his nurse had the responsibility of taking the child's body down to the hospital's morgue. Many times, after the doctor pronounced the child dead, the parents would want to hold him or her one last time. So the nurse would clean the child and take the tubes and catheters out of their body and wrap them in a blanket. After the parents had had their time, the nurse would call the security guard and he would escort her down to the morgue. If it was a baby, Most nurses would carry them in their arms, but for a larger child, they usually put them on a stretcher to wheel them down to the morgue. Most nurses hated this part of the job, but not Janine. By 1981, she started asking to be assigned to the sickest children. And if she didn't get those children, she would refuse to care for the child. She would just sit in their room and stare at him. It didn't matter. It wasn't who she wanted. So she wasn't going to deal with them. She would then arrive early to her shift so she could pencil her name in next to the room number of the child that she really did want. If someone challenged Janine, they would incur her wrath. She would go on a rampage. Most people didn't want to deal with her, so they just let her have her way. This meant that Janine had to call codes fairly often. Anytime there was an emergency, Janine was there offering her help and her opinions. There were so many incidences that I read about where other nurses and residents and doctors talked about how she would laboriously administer CPR to the infants or the small children there in the ICU, and that she would do it for as long as it took. She thrived on it. But when a child didn't survive, Janine broke down every single time and sobbed. Most nurses would be sad, but Janine's reaction always seemed eerily over the top. She freaked everyone out, is the bottom line. She would then pick up the body of the child, hold them to her chest, and sit in the rocking chair in the ICU and rock them. Sometimes for an hour. And she would always volunteer to take the body to the morgue, even if the child wasn't her patient. It was like she liked going down there. Now, most patients were only carried if they were infants, like I said. Most of the nurses didn't want to carry a large child, and understandably so, but not Janine. Oh no, she could be seen carrying a five year old child in her arms down the hall. The three, it was like anything she could do to stand out or give herself more attention was just fine with her. Now the three to 11 shift did not have an experienced RN on duty. And again, Janine took full advantage of this. She took charge. She told others what to do, and she made sure that she had all the patients she wanted. Janine let the young RNs rely on her. She showed them the ropes, told them how things worked in the ICU. She helped them. She even borderline mothered them. But when they felt independent enough to start taking charge, she took it as a slight every time she felt like they had stabbed her in the back and turned on her and so she considered them her enemy working with janine was toxic janine was losing her influence on the icu and she didn't like it so she had to figure out some new tactics janine jones started taking a special interest in specific children this is when things really started to get mm, just wild Chris Hogetta was one of those children. He had spent most of his life in the hospital. He was born with a severe heart defect. Janine insisted on taking care of him herself. She had been taking care of him for weeks when she reported his condition to the next shift. His health had been failing for quite a while and he wasn't expected to live much longer. He had been experiencing unusual episodes of a regular heartbeat. When Chris Hogetta died of cardiac arrest, he was under Janine's care. His parents asked Janine to stay with their son until they could arrive at the hospital. Janine took care of the little boy. She washed him and removed the tubes from his body, crying, talking, and singing to him the whole time. She then wrapped him in a blanket and held him close to her chest for over an hour until his parents arrived. Janine was so involved with the parents, they invited her to be a guest at his funeral. And this marked the beginning of Janine's death shift also because janine couldn't gain favor with the other nurses and staff in the icu except for her two superiors Robotham and belco she decided that she would really try to gain attention from the parents so she did she went above and beyond with all of them even parents that were in there and suspected of abusing their children physically or with meds or other things. And it was suspected that that was why that child was in the ICU. She would suck up to those patients and parents too, you know, not just caring for that poor child, but oh, she would give sympathy to the parents as were most ICU nurses were disgusted by the thought that a parent had injured their own child to put them in the ICU, not Janine. She wanted everyone's favor. Over the next four months, the pediatric ICU began to experience an overabundance of strange events and unexpected emergencies. Patients who had seemed stable would suddenly stop breathing. They had seizures. Their hearts would stop or their breathing would become irregular. Babies with IVs would start oozing blood. Their clotting mechanisms wouldn't work. Even children who were very sick and expected to die were dying from things that just didn't make sense. Terry Lynn Garcia was another child who died unexpectedly at three weeks old. She was admitted to the hospital for diarrhea and vomiting on the night. She arrived at the ICU. She had three episodes of abnormally slow heartbeat. Doctors revived her, but she arrested again the next evening. They were barely able to save her with drugs, electric shock, and 90 minutes of CPR. The next day she started bleeding and she developed breathing problems that required a respirator. She had two more cardiac arrests and then died at 6, 15 p.m. on August 11th. Patricia Sambrano, three months old, entered the ICU two days after Terry Lynn Garcia died on August 13th. She was hospitalized after going into seizures for a routine round of shots. She was placed under Janine Jones's care. Patricia was placed on a respirator and arrested that evening. When Janine left, nurses on the next two shifts noted no seizures and reported that the little girl was stable and expected to pull through. Janine returned for her shift and reported seizures that were worse by 5.30 that evening. So remember, Janine comes to work at 3 and in a matter of two and a half hours, so the little girl has been stable for 24 hours basically. Janine gets on board. And two and a half hours later all of a sudden her seizures are worse again patricia went into cardiac arrest and died at nine thirty-six p.m on august 14th again under janine jones's direct care four-month-old paul villarreal died in september he was taken to surgery for an elective procedure on his skull so paul wasn't even really sick he needed a surgery but it was an elective surgery and Not scary or critical, but he was returned to the pediatric ICU to recover. Well, who do you think his nurse was, Janine? As soon as he got to the ICU, his health started to to deteriorate quickly. Just as before, he had a seizure and began bleeding. He arrested and was revived, but the next night everything started all over again. When Janine came back on shift, he died at 8 30 p.m. Tests showed that there was something wrong with his clotting mechanism. So, cardiac arrests, slow, abnormally slow heartbeat, and problems with clotting mechanisms become a very big trend throughout the next four months in the pediatric ICU. On two separate occasions, doctors found patients' respirators improperly set. At 11 p.m. one night, two-year-old Rosemary Vega was recovering from a routine heart operation. She suffered a seizure and became sluggish after being placed on a respirator. At 2.15 a.m., a a resident noticed that Rosemary's respirator had been set to supply her with too little oxygen. So even though she was on the respirator, was supposed to be helping her breathe, It was turned basically off. She was getting hardly anything. The little girl died at 7.52 p.m. Four-month-old Placida Ibarra entered the ICU for treatment of heart failure. At 7.20 p.m. on the day that she was admitted, it was discovered that her respirator was giving her 100% oxygen. This is also extremely dangerous. It throws your blood chemistry off balance. And so again, your body's not able to process the oxygen correctly. On Placida's fifth day in the hospital, she unexpectedly went limp and died at 1025 PM. She couldn't be revived. Babies were dying in the ICU of problems that shouldn't have been fatal. And they were all dying on Janine Jones's shift. They were all under her direct care doctors were used to handling three or four resuscitations a month but in august of 1981 they performed 9 cprs so double and then in september they performed 13 all on the 3 to 11 shift all on janine jones's patients questions were starting to being were starting to be asked doctors wanted answers nurses wanted answers Deaths were coming more and more on Janine's shift, and her predictions were becoming creepily accurate. She would say, this patient's going to die. And then all of a sudden, even if they were improving, they would. One night, two children died within minutes of each other, both under Janine's direct care. Other staff was starting to quit because they couldn't take the severe conditions that they were working under. It was stressful, they were depressed. They would get these kids, think they had them back on the right path, and then show up the next day and they had died. They just couldn't take the stress anymore. They were depressed and worried about their own health. In September, another one of Janine's patients died. She fell into a chair in the corner and began to sob. A young doctor came over to comfort her and Janine looked up and said, why do babies always die when I'm around? gee don't we wonder many people at bear county hospital were asking the exact same thing there were a growing number of people who were starting to suspect janine and they were calling her shift the death shift at first janine's superiors considered this vicious gossip about janine they knew most of her colleagues did not like her because of her aggressive and brash behavior besides janine loved the babies she cared for there was no way she would harm them and head nurse Pat Belko, to her, it was just unfathomable that anyone who would work in a hospital would purposefully harm a baby. On top of this, nurse Belko herself, when she very first started working in the beginning of her career, had been unjustly accused of hurting a child. Now she was cleared of everything, but because the doctor first accused her of it. She was mortified and horrified that she would ever be accused of this. So Pat Belko carried this around and felt for Janine that these people were saying these things about her because she remembered the feelings that she carried from that. Plus, Pat Belko said there was no proof that Janine was doing anything wrong. Susanna Maldonado was a 25-year-old RN, and she had been suspicious of Janine for quite some time. In fact, Susanna was one of those young RNs that Janine took under her wing. And at first they worked well together, but quickly their relationship soured. Susanna herself had become suspicious of Janine, and so she decided that she was going to get the proof that nurse, that head nurse Belko wanted. Susanna came on shift at 11 PM after Janine had finished her shift. Remember Janine was three to 11. Then Susanna came on at 11 right after her. So she started making sure, Susanna started making sure that she was caring for Janine's patients after Janine left. Every evening she reviewed Janine's nursing notes and started studying the ICU patient register. She started keeping track of what happened to the children that were treated in the ICU and even made a list of the children that died since January 1981. She also listed the cause of each death for the children who had died. In October, Susanna Maldonado walked into Pat Belko's office and laid everything out that she had found. Now, Susanna, because she openly did not like Janine, was not a favorite of Pat Belko's. But After she laid everything out, Belko had nothing that she could say. It was all right there in front of her. The more she listened, Pat Belko realized that Susanna Maldonado had done her homework and the results did not look good. Belko went to find Dr. Robotham. It turned out he was there and she found him in his office. She told him that she needed to speak to him. She told him what Susanna Maldonado was claiming. And then she laid everything out for him. They both agreed. There would have to be an investigation. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll pick back up where we left off next week. I I know I said we would get it done in two episodes, but I don't even know if we're going to be able to get it done in three. But I hate to cram th- too much in and... Make it too confusing because again, there's a lot of information here. Janine Jones, just there's a lot. So, I hope you enjoyed it today. I'd love to hear from you. Give me ideas on new cases you want to hear about or share your thoughts with me on Janine Jones. You can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod, you can find me on Facebook at Texas True Crime, or you can reach out to me. On email at Texas true at gmail dot com. I'll see you next week. I hope you have a great week, and I hope you've had a great Labor Day weekend. Bye.